that the more you have going on, the more you've got to be really careful to write it down and to keep up with all of it so that nothing slips through the crack. Um, and so, you know, I'm kind of weird in, in how I do things. I want to do everything the most confusing way possible. Um, but, you know, I order these, like, special custom-made, like, really detailed planners, and every day you've got three goals and tasks to meet with them, and then you schedule out your day. And, and what it tells you to do is for your work day is to plan out like a zero-based budget, but for your calendar. So in a zero-based budget, you take every dollar that you have, right, and you assign it a purpose, even if that's savings or not to be spent. Um, and so for this, every hour you've got during the work day gets assigned a task. Uh, so in the past, right, I would just have appointments down. So I've got lunch with this person at 12, and I would kind of hope that I would get some significant work on a sermon done that morning, but you know what happens, right? People show up, you get to talking with them, a phone call comes in. Sure enough, before you know it, the morning's gone, you're at lunch with this person, and you never got to work on your sermon. And so, that is right. Actually plan a meeting for yourself. Put that time in there for your sermon. And then when someone calls, you don't feel bad about not picking up, right? Because you're in a meeting. You've got something scheduled going on here. Um, and so I feel like I've gotten really good at this. Like, it's taken me a while to, to kind of get into this. Um, and I've started to get really efficient. And, and so this was my, my planner for two weeks ago, approximately. It goes from Sunday the 14th to Saturday the 20th. And uh, I had it, had it pretty planned out. I sit down at the beginning of the week uh, on Sunday and, and go through the week. And right away at the beginning, two weeks ago, um, something happens that throws all of my plans over eye. And you've probably had this experience, right? You've got everything planned out. You've got lots of goals to get done. And something happens, something turns up or shows up that uh, it's going to take the priority for a few days for the rest of the week. And uh, you might not get any of the stuff done that you had thought you were going to and, and things that you needed to get done. So two weeks ago, that took the form of some news that I got uh, from some former students of mine that a former student of mine had passed away uh, as a 16-year-old. Now, he walked into the bathroom to go take a shower. A few hours later, his, the water still running. His brother breaks the door down and, and finds him there. Um, and so he, he walks into the bathroom and never walks out. Um, and that was a game changer, right? I mean, this is a life or death type of situation where the lunch meetings are no longer that important, right? Um, you, you need to attend to what's there right in front of you. And the school had called and asked me to come up as the kids came up that week to begin school, knowing that there's going to be a barrage of grief uh, on these students and wanting as many familiar faces there as possible. Uh, and so my planned out Tuesday um, was instead spent uh, not in meetings and not doing things for, for the church, um, but holding 17-year-olds as they sobbed. I mean, that was... That was my job description on Tuesday. Um, and it's a weird position to find yourself in when that wasn't on the calendar yesterday. Right? I hadn't prepped myself for this. I hadn't built myself up for this. I hadn't researched this. Uh, and then the rest of the week by myself 
invited to, to lead some prayer vigils and, and meet with students regularly, and then that Friday speak at a funeral. Uh, and so I had gone through a week, right, where, where I had the best laid plans, right, of mice and men, and, and all of a sudden something happens, and your plans are interrupted. Um, and you've kind of got to go with the flow there. Uh, and you've got to um, recognize that that's the kind of world that we live in, right? Unexpected things can happen. Um, with grief comes all these questions. Uh, and so as, as we're grieving over the loss of, of this young man, you know, I think one of the questions that was with a lot of us was, why him? He was a healthy kid. We couldn't find anything wrong with him afterwards. There's no known reason for what happened to him. Uh, and right, you sit there and you wonder, why not me? I mean, that could easily happen to me, right? That could happen to anybody. Um, uh, why did why did this young man walk in to never walk out? Um, and then we we realize that. I think through the grieving process, you can come out on the other end um, and start to see certain things as gifts, right? Which is, I don't normally think I've been given that big of a gift when I'm able to walk out of the bathroom after I've walked in. Turns out that is a pretty big gift, right? That's not promised to everybody. Um, and, and even thinking through, you know, the tragedy of a, a young death, um, you know, thinking through, why was, why was this kid, his name was Gray, why was he given 16 years? You know, there's a lot of people who aren't given 16 years. Uh, thinking through my role in his life, uh, at the funeral I got up and was talking about this and, and said, you know what, the question that's haunted my mind since I've kind of worked through this process is, why did I have the blessing of knowing this child? There's hundreds of teachers in this area, that never got to teach him and never got the joy of having him in their class. There's the problem of evil, and there's the corollary, which is the problem of good, right? I mean, why was I given this gift? And so I was already kind of in the the mindset of, okay, you can plan everything out, right? But unexpected things happen, and we've got to adjust appropriately and, and go with where the Spirit's leading us in those moments. And the very next week, it is um, Tuesday once again, and I've got things planned out, okay, and I'm driving away from Chick-fil-A, and the next thing I know, I wake up in an ambulance, which is never a good feeling. It's never something that you put on your planner, right, um, and, and go to the ER. I had a seizure, uh, and so I don't know what has been told or not been told, um, but uh, I did have a seizure uh, a week ago from Tuesday. Um, so it's been about two weeks now. Uh, everything's fine. All the lab results and uh, tests they've run came back fine. And so there's no imminent danger for me medically. No one's worried about it. Um, and so I appreciate the prayers and uh, all of you who reached out. Um, but as a result of having the seizure, right, I all of a sudden was thrust into doctor's appointment after doctor's appointment after doctor's appointment. And all of a sudden, Tuesday afternoon, I found out I'm not allowed to drive anymore for the foreseeable future, right? That's definitely not in any of my plans. And that's going to hinder some of them, 
the, the lack of mobility there. Um, and I was like, what is going on in my life? You ever get the feeling that something's happening over and over and over again, and you're like, God has to be doing something here. Like, he has to be prepping you for something or trying to get one lesson through your dull mind, right? And, and I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, what's going on? And, and I asked Zach, I was like, hey, where'd you leave off in James? And he said, verse 12. And so I, I opened up, and I invite you to open up with me to James chapter 4, and uh, read the paragraph that finishes chapter 4 in James and, and uh, kind of started to understand a little bit maybe. Um, James ends chapter 4 by talking about the futility of human planning and how life is a gift. And we don't know necessarily what tomorrow will bring our way. And so all of our planning needs to be based in humility and, and with this contingency that it's a gift from God, not something that we have as a, a necessary cause in and of ourselves. Um, so we'll read as we work through James. Um, we'll finish out chapter 4, uh, 13 through 17, a short paragraph here. James says this, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Says James. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. And all boasting like that, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. There's lots of challenging things here about this passage. Um, and, and we can kind of walk through it. So he, he sets up this scene talking to a group of um, Christians who are, are probably small businessmen, okay? And, and they have a map out in front of them, and they're making some plans, right? They've got this five-year plan together. And they're looking at the cities they can go and, and do their business in and make some profit in. Um, they have kind of every circumstance of life mapped out. And so they've got time down. Um, today or tomorrow, they've got place in this town. They've got um, purpose. We'll trade as we, we make a, a living there. And then they've got a reward, right? And we're going to make profit. We're going to bank a little bit off of this. They've got kind of this comprehensive plan down. Um, and, and, and James is going to say um, that that kind of planning is not Christian enough. He's going to say that kind of planning assumes you have a lot more control over the world and over your life than you actually do. As depressing as it might be to, to think about, he says, you, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. He's quoting a, a proverb here. Um, Proverbs 3 says, Who are you, little human being? You don't know what today will bring. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Jesus says this as well in his teachings. Um, we often live in a mostly delusional state of control. Uh, unaware, day by day, second by second, that nothing's promised to us. 
um, that, that we are, as James says, a mist. That's our life. He says it's a mist. It appears for a little time, then it vanishes. Think of looking out the window, and, and you see a little stream in the autumn morning, and, and you see the mist hanging there right above it. And then all of a sudden the sun comes out, and it's gone. And our scripture reading in Psalm 1 uh, is a, a common image in the scriptures. He says the, the, the people who are wicked are, are like chaff and it just blows away. Their life is nothingness. I mean, it just crumbles as soon as it is solid and is gone and forgotten about. Um, there's a very common theme and image in the Old Testament, the idea that our lives are missed. And it usually goes hand in hand with God's judgment, the idea that our lives are frail and our lives are not completely under our control. Uh, and that if it wasn't for God's grace, in light of God's judgment, we would all just kind of float away. Um, we're here for a short time, we're transient, and we are um, not as in control as we'd like to imagine that we are. Um, if you think about how long the normal human being lives, right, uh, you'll realize it's not a long time in world history, in the history of nations, right, in the history of um, philosophy and different ideas. It's not a very long time. Um, You can put it, I think, most uh, pointedly in terms of, like, family genealogy. How far back do you have to go until you can't remember the names of the people who came before you in your family. First and last maiden name. Uh, I've done this experiment with students, um, and everyone just about has their parents' names. All right, you got two. All right, let's go back a step. Grandparents, and this is where we start losing people. Most people, 60, 70%, a little bit of the majority, I think, still stay on board with the, the four grandparents. And then we say, let's take another step back. And I've found that it's the great-grandparents where most people lose track here, right? Where they maybe have two or three or four or five, but not all eight. Um, and, and then I ask them to say, okay, how many years is that in passing? Let's say a generation between one to, to another is 30 years. I have a child every 30 years. Um, that puts you at, like, what, 100 years away um, from your children's children's children not even knowing your name, right? I mean, we're not talking about knowing your deepest, darkest secrets and your passions and what made you excited in life. I mean, we're talking just your very name, like your descendants, your own flesh and blood. I mean, we're, 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 we're just under a, a decade, a century um, from, from being forgotten, right? Very few people go down in the history books, um, and the chances are, right, your own family will probably eventually kind of forget about you. Life goes very fast. History is really big, and our role in it is very, very, very small. And the Scripture highlights this constantly. You know, there are some who would say that Christianity is this kind of opiate for the masses, um, creates this kind of delusion, this kind of therapeutic effect so that we don't have to deal with reality. Um, I was talking to Jake between services, and, and we were both kind of of the opinion that 
in actuality, like if you look at the scriptures, Christianity forces you to face the depths of reality. It forces you to face truths that are uncomfortable, but truths that are invaluable to making use of your time that you have, to making use of the, the, the days that you have been given. Um, we have a little bit of time, he says, and it's, it's something that we don't get to control, like mist. It just kind of comes and goes. We can't grab onto it. We can't hold onto it. Um, we often think that our health and our life um, is primarily dependent on us. And occasionally some outside influences. Um, but if you take some time to think about it, You've probably heard the story, right, of somebody, someone you know, someone you know who knew that person who, like, ate kill their whole life and had this, like, weird heart attack when they were 30, right? And you probably have also heard probably more stories like this, the person who chain-smoked cigars, right, six a day their entire life and ate nothing but red raw meat and lived to be, like, 105 in perfect health, right? Um as much as we'd like to imagine, right, we get to control exactly what our life's going to be like, exactly what kind of days we're going to have, how many days we're going to have. The truth of the matter is anything can happen. Anything can happen at any moment. And eventually all of us are going to face the same truth. None of us get to skip out on this part of the human experience. And while that can be depressing, right, I I think the goal of it is to lead us through this kind of harsh reality onto the other side where you find gratitude. In Psalm 90, Moses gives this eulogy uh, for a funeral, and he's talking about how quickly, like, grass humans come up and then the lawns mowed, right? I mean, it's just here and then not here anymore, and life is so frail. And, And then he transitions into saying this, so teach us to count our days, to number our days, that we might have wisdom. And I think what Moses is getting at there in Psalm 90 is the idea of counting your days is not just being aware, right, that you might not have as many as you think or that you don't get to pick how many you have, but to actually appreciate each day, like count it. Like, get up in the morning and be like, I've been giving another day. That's a gift. Life is a gift. We live as creatures dependent on God for our existence. Um, sometimes we, we fall into the trap of thinking the world is this kind of closed system. God created in like a, a, a watch, right? He just winds it up and then it ticks and he steps away. And so we kind of assume, right, the next 24 hours are coming our way because that's how the world works. That's just probability and statistics, right? It's a mechanical system. This is by nature, by right. This is how it works. Um, but, but God, his work of creation never stops in the scriptures and in, in thinking theologically, Christianly. Um, God is always creating. And, and, and by that, we use this word sustainer. You might have heard People speak of God as the sustainer of all life. And the idea is God doesn't create a human life 
or a world with human lives on it and then step away from it and it has some existence outside of him and outside of his will. Um, but multiply, uh throughout the scriptures, we find multiple times this idea that every second, every molecule in the universe, the only reason it exists is because God is still creating it to exist that way. He's sustaining it. It's his will that's keeping all things together, Colossians say. Um, there's not, it's not right some mechanical force God created called gravity that's keeping molecules together. It's the fact that God chose and continues to choose to keep these things going on. Um, when we realize that, we realize that if he chose otherwise... Who are you going to complain to? Right? I mean, what appeals court are you going to take God to if he just chose for these things not to be? But instead, when we realize that our lives are gifts from God, when we get that day, it creates in us humility. It creates in us gratitude. And it creates in us, as somebody says, this desire for wisdom, this desire to do what's right. This desire to not waste the time that we have because it's a precious gift. And we're not aware of how much of it we're going to be given. And so when we go about planning, and you've got this, these big planners here, right? James is saying there's this attitude in this first situation of planning that is self-sufficient and kind of arrogant in its boast, Right? They get to control how much time they have and what exactly is going to happen. And they are not accounting for the fact that life is a gift, that they are frail as human beings, right? And, and so James' suggestion is not to not plan. He doesn't say stop planning at all, right? There's no purpose in it. Everything's determined. God's will, right, overrides any human freedom. Um, I think we, we sometimes get trapped by thinking that God's will and our will, our agencies, our ability to choose things, our freedom, are on the same playing field. And they're not. Uh, so in a physical material world, you do have to, it's a zero-sum game. Either I picked up the podium or Michelle picked up the podium. Now, if we both had our hand on the podium, we might say 50-50. Or you might say, Michelle's a little stronger than Mike, so like 75-25. But you can imagine, right? Add a spiritual element to the world. And all of a sudden, things don't necessarily get measured out the same way. Freedom is not a zero-sum game. God is not one being among other beings competing to act. God is being itself, right? He's the source of all existence. Human beings are only free because God chooses to create them and sustain them as free creatures. And so life's found here in God's will. James saying not to not plan at all. He says instead just there needs to be an attitude change with humility. He said you ought to say with this awareness of your nature, uh, of your life, you ought to say if the Lord wills, we will live, and then we'll do this or we'll do that. 
And Christians throughout the ages have kind of added this formula to their vocabulary, mostly God willing. Um, some shorten it to the, the Latin abbreviations uh, and say DN, DV, um, God willing. Um, which, I, again, I don't think James is necessarily saying, right, you always need to include this phrase when you're, you're talking about the future, right? But it's the attitude behind it. It's this attitude of acknowledgement that even as we plan for the future, we plan for it, not expecting it, not deserving it, not knowing exactly what will happen and why it will happen, but in humility, accepting it as a gift from God, if it's given to us. I think the Lord's will here, right, should create in us this awareness of our, our, our status as creatures. We're dependent on God for survival. We're not as self-sufficient as we think we are. We're not as, as um, in control of our situations as we think we are. Um, the, the student didn't plan on what happened to him right, in the bathroom. I didn't plan on what happened to me in that car ride, right? Um, weird things happen. They happen out of the blue. Um, but, but what James and the Scripture are going to say is, is the fact that your life is so contingent and that's so misty and, and so frail and, and, and here and it's gone, that should, one, make you grateful, and then, two, that should make you really focused in on how you're spending the little bit of time that you have. Are you being wise? Are you counting your days? Um, the Lord's will, if the Lord's will, I think there's also this ethical dimension to it, right? Like, if the Lord wills it, then we should go here or there. So we include God and, and, and Jesus in our planning itself. Um, we realize that life's not all about ourselves and making profit. Um, but there's this moral, this moral aspect, this ethical aspect. In the Scriptures, God's will is not some deterministic, fatalistic thing that should scare us. Um, God's will is moral or ethical, and it's very clearly revealed to us. First Thessalonians 4, God's will is that you would be sanctified, that you'd become more like Christ. Um, God's will is that we would follow Christ and act like him. James says, fulfill the royal law, love God, and love our neighbors. That we'd hear that law, we'd hear these instructions, and we wouldn't just hear and not do, but we would hear and then do. Our doing would result in done actions. Faith would act. Faith would work. And that leads him to this, this last sentence where he says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And if you really look at that sentence closely, I think this actually up to date might be the most worrisome thing James has told us. Because what he's just done is he's opened up the floodgates in your life for what might be considered sin. He says it's not just the things you've done poorly or wrongly, which is how I think of sin, right? If I'm, I'm sitting down at the end of the day going through asking God for forgiveness, I'm like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that on the freeway uh, to that person. And I, I shouldn't have uh, said those words to that person, and I shouldn't have done this. I go through my actions, right? 
some things I did well, some things I didn't do very well. James says this, not doing things that you should have done is just as much as sin. Which is like, oh my gosh, too much to consider now. All of these counterfactuals throughout my day, all the things that could have been that weren't. So maybe I, the Spirit was nudging me to go, to go talk to this homeless person, pray with them, maybe give them some lunch. But I didn't do it. I had a meeting to get to. He says, if, if you knew it was the right thing to do and you didn't do it, that's a sin. Or maybe there's right this decision God's been nudging you and, and pushing on you for, for a long time. Maybe a big decision, like a vocation change. Maybe small decisions, right? Like acts of kindness. James says, if you really start to think about time and life and, and our uh, small part in this, you'll look at your days not only in terms retrospectively of what you've done and whether it was okay or not, but you'll look back and, and you'll say, what did I not do that I should have? Which, I mean, throws open Pandora's box in terms of self-examination. Each day presents us with all of these unique opportunities to live out our mandate as Christians, loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And they're almost always very flexible Things spontaneously happen. Things that we haven't planned on happening. That weren't in our profit business model. That show up. And the Spirit might come and nudge us and say, here we go. Your faith can work right over there. And we move on. And James says, maybe, maybe you should consider some of those when you're thinking about sin, when you're thinking about living correctly, when you're thinking about living the way that God wants us to live. So I close with a, a couple questions this morning. Um, the first is, what would it look like, practically speaking, in all of our lives, if we actually lived out this attitude that expressed, if God desires, if God wills, and tomorrow we'll live, and we'll do this, or we'll do that. Because I think it's going to be unique. I don't think one size fits all, right? For communities, unique among families, unique among individuals. But in your life, in your family's life, what, would that, what does that look like? For you to not plan in an arrogant, self-sufficient way, but for you to plan in a way that's um, acknowledging the contingency of your life and the opportunities that God is probably going to throw your way that you hadn't planned on. I mean, wh- where do you put that in your planner? How do you decide that? How do you, how do you hear the Spirit and, and, and make that? I mean, it's a tension, right? Because I'm a firm believer that the Spirit works through, through responsible planning, Right? through you and I being adults about things and doing the research and sitting down and having the debate and then settling on a plan. You see this when you go guest speak somewhere. Two weeks ago I was at a church and they said 25 minutes to speak and they've got the schedule 
uh, the service. And it's actually pretty common, but like down to the second, literally each second. So you can see on the, the service what second I should be walking off the stage, right, if everything goes according to plan. Now, of course, the worship takes a little bit longer than it's supposed to, and the, the pastoral prayer at the beginning takes a little bit longer than it's supposed to. Um, and just in case I, I didn't get the point, they told me a few stories of their worst speakers this summer uh, who had decided to go like 40 minutes, right? And I was like, I get it. 25 minutes, I'm walking off. I can do it. I know y'all don't believe I can do it, but I, I can. Um, and I nailed it, like usual. Um, and it's the height of arrogance, I think, for someone to come into a, a situation like that as an invited guest and say, nope, um, the Spirit's telling me right now to go preach for 45 minutes. And I'm not thinking about the planning you've done with your parking situation to get people in and out in the children's ministry to get kids in and out between services and all of the pastoral decisions you've made that came into this plan, right? There's just tension there because the Spirit does work through deliberate planning and the Spirit also is a spirit of spontaneity and flexibility. How does that tension play out in each of our lives? If there's none of that tension there, if we're all on this side and we stick to the plan no matter what, or if it's just all spontaneous and we're like, I wonder what will happen today, right? Maybe we need to incorporate more of the other side of that. What would it look like to live out this attitude? And then what, what are certain things, actions, and again, individually in your life? It's going to be different for all of us. The opportunities I have for the rest of today to, to show Christ's love are going to be different than the opportunities you're going to have. But what are the things God's calling us to do that we know is right, but that too easily we just pass over? I think someone who's self-aware as a Christian who takes some time to examine themselves can probably come up with at least a handful of things they know. Yeah, I think God's been calling me to do this kind of know this is the right thing, but I've just, like, second-guessed myself into disobedience. James gives a, a abiding indictment here. He gives you no wiggle room, no way out. He says, if you know what the right thing is and you don't do it, you're, you're here who doesn't do. James wants us to be hearers who do do. And so what ways perhaps is God calling or nudging you um, that perhaps you've walked by, opportunities that you've missed? What ways can you set yourself up so that you don't miss those opportunities in the future? Um, what ways perhaps can the church or your community, your family, um, your friends help you live out some of those things that you feel called to do but have for so long put off to the side? Um, and then how can you approach each day, right, with some built-in flexibility? Knowing that there's going to be some things you, you probably will be called to do that you weren't aware of, that you had no ability to plan on, to, to in advance go through in your mind. Um, and with those questions, I think James um, pushed us a little bit closer to, to 
to truth, right? To the reality of our situation, of who we are as human beings, of who God is as the one who gives and sustains life as a gift, and then of our responsibility with this short time that we've been given to love God with everything that we've got and to love our neighbors just as ourselves. How can we incorporate that into our planning? How can we incorporate that into the flexibility that each day presents us, the opportunities that, that you and I have every day to, to show God's love to other people? I think it's by answering these questions and by examining our hearts and our lives um, that we might um, be transformed by God's love this morning through this, this passage here in James. Let me invite you to pray with me. Father, we thank you this morning for your love for us. We thank you for the gift of this morning. Um, we're very much aware that everyone has not been gifted with this morning. Um, we thank you for the, the gift of our, our heartbeat and our, our neurons firing and our synapses and, and for the family and friends that you've given us and for the faith community that you've put us in. Uh, and we ask you to allow us to live all our lives, all of our lives, out of this sense of gratefulness, this sense of gift. Father, help us to be responsible, but to be responsible as people who know that we don't get to control every aspect of the world. Um, that we plan, but we plan as those who are aware that our life is a mist. And that when we see things that are right to do, we don't do them. We're just as much as fault as, as situations where we do something that we know we shouldn't have done. I pray that, that you would give us the grace and courage to ask these questions of ourselves and to um, respond faithfully. We thank you for the forgiveness and the grace that's the foundation uh, we're able to ask these questions because we know we are accepted in your sight. Um, we're able to do this deep self-examination of our own hearts because we know we're not going to find anything there that's going to surprise you or, or, or make you kind of flinch and turn away from us. We're able to do such things because of your great love for us and because of your acceptance in uh, and through Jesus Christ of your people. And so we pray, Father, this morning that your love would, would lead the way as we um, seek to become more like your Son. In whose name we pray. Amen.